0: If you have your Bibles, uh, please open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you guys are turning there. I do want to thank Pastor Henry and the elders here at SFBC uh, for inviting my wife and I this weekend. Uh, We we missed you. Uh, We've been praying for you guys, and we're just excited to be back uh, this weekend to spend with you guys. Uh, You guys that are here are obviously the super elect because you're not at home watching a particular game in the East Bay Uh, But anyways, uh, tonight we're going to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 14 and 15. Uh, Why don't you guys stand for the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf lord thank you for allowing us this time to study your word and i pray lord that you can be with all of us soften our hearts to to your truth and that we can apply it to our lives and ultimately lord to give you glory in all the things that we do thank you for this time your son's precious name amen you may be seated When I was in high school, uh, I was in a play uh, that I don't really remember much about. I only remember little pieces of that entire play. Um, I was the only human actor uh, that was cast as a cat, while all my classmates were had human roles. Um, And this play was—I think it was about like two girls that were email, or not email, I guess it was like they pen pals, they're writing from like America and China and then the backdrop of this was, a, was like a historical piece, and the historical time of this play was in the 1980s, in the late 1980s to be exact. And I remember when I was studying for the role and trying to understand uh, this play and the background, uh, one of the things that was the I guess the climactic event was the Tiananmen Square Massacre. In um, the script it talked about how there was a uh, uh, these groups of Chinese college students that rebelled against the government. And, and I thought that was, like, fake until I did some research, and it actually happened. And, you know, like, all diligent actors I wanted to know everything. So I studied up on it. And uh, not only that, but I went home and I started asking some of my relatives. And there were two people in my, in my life that I, wanted to, that I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask my cousin and my grandfather. And when I asked my cousin, like, hey, what did you think of all of this? What did you think of this Tiananmen Square massacre? You were alive around that time. He looked at me like, "What are you talking about, man? That didn't happen. That wasn't real." He looked at me like he was like accusing me of being mind control by the Americans. I was like, uh, this, "There's some irony here because clearly he has no idea what that that event was. You know, part of the thing that the Chinese government does the censorship. They didn't teach that in the history books, so he had no idea that this event happened, and he accused me for." just being mind-controlled by the American government, to hate on China. I was like, no, that's not why. I just wanted to learn how to be a cat in this play. Um, then the other person I asked was my grandfather. And when I asked my grandfather about this incident, he was—he re- was, gave a really strange answer, because it was too precise. When I asked him about the Tiananmen Square, he was like, it didn't happen. The Chinese government will never do that. End of discussion. And I knew he was lying to me, because it was too perfect of an answer. And not long after that, uh, so this pastor in my high school Decides to come over And one of the ministries that my high school did Was to, to evangelize to the parents of the students They were the relatives And this this pastor came over and spoke to my grandfather And he, he brought up this incident And that's when my grandfather let it all out he, was, he just explained how angry he was How frustrated, how much he hated the Chinese government Because they were just killing young people And I was like Whoa, I didn't okay, you, you should have told me this months ago When I was you know, in play But you know, thanks grandpa but there's one, one thing I noticed about that is that people are controlled by what they know or what they don't know. For my cousin, he was incro- controlled by what he didn't know, so that dictated his life when he was in China. It was he lived in a false peace. Whereas my grandfather, uh, he knew about what happened and he lived in fear. Both were controlled by what they knew and what they did not know. And it's the same for all of us. In life, we are controlled by what we know and what we don't know. What you know about the Lord will control your thoughts and your actions. And for the Christian, we understand that we can only be controlled by one thing, and that is the Lord. More specifically, we need to be controlled by the love of Christ. The greater understanding we have of God's love, the greater we will be in our practice of God's love. If you want to know what makes a pastor happy, you read 2 Corinthians. This book, 2 Corinthians, it's... It's, uh, it's Paul defending his apostleship. There were these false teachers that came into the church and wanted to uh, dismiss Paul as a false apostle. And Paul wanted to, he, he didn't want to defend himself for the sake of defending himself, but he needed to defend himself because if they dismiss Paul as an apostle, they'll dismiss his teaching. And if they dismiss his teaching, then they'll dismiss the gospel as a whole. And this church, this church in Corinth, uh, was, was, it was a church that was established by Paul, and it, it had a great cost for him. In, in Acts 18, we see that he, it, it took a toll on him to establish this church. This church was, was a church that was influential. It, was, it, it, was, it, it had the influence of Los Angeles, but it had the debauchery of Las Vegas. Uh, this is what Corinth was. And Paul established this church. And He taught the church and all the churches that he went to that there will be false teachers. There will, there will be people that are going to come into the church and try to sway you from the gospel. We see this in Acts 20. Uh, Paul tells the Ephesian church before he left that, that they need to, to to guard themselves because there will be wolves that are coming in that will come in and take sheep. And then in Titus, you guys are going to, you guys were going through the book of Titus. You understand that part of a qualification of an elder is that they know doctrine so they can refute error. Philippians 3:2, Paul tells the Philippian church to be to beware of the dogs. Paul needed to defend his ministry. Because the gospel was at stake. In this book, uh, he, was addressing, he, he was addressing some of the accusations. Some people said that Paul, the reason why you're a, a, an apostle, the reason why you're, you're building a church is not because you love Jesus or love the Lord. It's because you want to do it for the money. Some people accuse him for for pride or some selfish gain. But Paul here in this text is explaining that what drives him is the love of Christ. He's trying to disprove that the, the thing that motivates him is not money or self-praise, but is the love of Christ. What drove Paul from giving up in ministry was the love of Christ. What kept Paul, from, what kept Paul from, uh, from giving up and serving the church was the love of Christ. What kept him from evangelizing to discipleship to church planting, all of these things that he's doing in his life, what drove him was the love of Christ. My question for you tonight is this. What drives you What motivates you? What fuels you? It can be applied to every aspect of your life. And I know that some of you guys are married and some of you guys are students. It can apply to every aspect, whether you are a parent, whether you're married, whether you're a student or you're working. What fuels you in all of these areas? And the answer is that for the Christian, it must be the love of Christ. When we understand God's love, it will leave the believer no other choice but to be controlled by the love of Christ. Knowing the love of God will help us fulfill the greatest command, which is to love our Father with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And the only way we can fulfill that is if we understand the depth of the love of Christ. And Paul shows us in this passage that if you want to be the thing that drives all Christians to have a successful marriage, to be a successful student, uh, uh, to, be, uh, to be able to glorify God in every area of your life, you must be controlled by God's love. The more you understand the love of God, the more you will be controlled by God's love. So our outline tonight is going to be two, uh, two points. First, the orthodoxy of love, verse 14 and 15a, and the orthopraxy of God's love, the last half of verse 15. So our first point, the orthodoxy of love, verse 14 and 15 Notice, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all. Notice this phrase, the love of Christ. The word love is an agape love. It's an unselfish love, and it's intended for another person's well-being. It's a, it's a sacrificial type of love. And the only person that demonstrates this perfectly is our Savior. We understand that God's love is perfect for us and the way that he conducted, his, the way he conducted his life. But we understand God's love better when we understand how he has loved us and in what way can he demonstrate it. Look back at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now this seems contradictory, but in reality it isn't because the fear of God comes when we understand God's holiness and that he is his holy judge. And the more we understand his holiness, the more we understand what it took for him to demonstrate his love towards us. Being saved means that we are saved by Christ and we're being saved from God's wrath. It should compel us to evangelize It compel the apostles to evangelize, and it should compel us as well. It should cause us to want to warn people about the, the, the wrath that is to come. God's love is what rescued us from God's wrath. The love and fear of God should go hand in hand. By understanding what we were supposed to have, we know how we're supposed to live now, currently. And Paul understood this duality. Paul was a Christian killer. Before he became a believer, he would, he, would, he would hunt Christians down. In a modern day vernacular, he'd be like like a terrorist or an Islamic terrorist. He'd be hunting Christians and, and wanting to, to, to persuade them to leave the Christian faith. He would target Christians. He was hostile toward them. He imprisoned them, and he was approving of all this, the Christians that would killed. But yet when he was rescued... When he, when he understood who Jesus Christ really is, he learned what would have happened to him. Because remember, Paul, before he was saved, he was also a false teacher. Not only he was a false teacher, but he was also a Christian killer. And when you, you see, if you study uh, the, the writings of Paul, especially in Galatians, he said if there's anyone that taught a different gospel, let him be accursed. Paul understood that that was him. He was that way before he came to know the Lord. Paul understood his intended destination. If you read the book of Revelation, you know that there's a, there's, there's a greater and stricter judgment to, the, to those that, who were killing Christians and there were false teachers. And Paul was that, but he was saved from uh, this, this wrath of God. And this gave him a greater appreciation of God's mercy, grace, and love. Christians, although saved, should still have this reverence and fear of the Lord. We need to be awe-filled and have this respect for the Lord as a judge. We also not only need to be filled with joy, but a great burden for those who do not know him. And we need to have both. We need to understand the love of God, and we can understand the love of God better when we understand the holiness of God. God himself is the same way. He loves people, but that doesn't contradict his holiness. And that's the way the world sees it, right? They see, oh, if God is so loving, he wouldn't, he wouldn't send anyone to hell. But that, that's a contradictory to his nature. So likewise, we need to be we, we could be like Christ in the sense that we need to strive to be like him, but we hate sin. And we also desire people to come, to, we, want, we, want to, we want people to come to know the Lord. And the Lord is this way as well. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4 reads this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord hates sin and will judge sin, but yet he desires everyone to repent. His offering of salvation of all people is an act of his divine mercy and grace. Had we died without a savior, it would have been perfectly just. Yet, this goes against the, uh, the modern worldview and other religions. Other religions say that you have to work your way into salvation. No other religions offer the fact that God would die for his creation. And this is why it con- is considered foolish to the world and offensive because it, it focuses on Christ and not yourself. Christianity points to divine love that saves, and that is completely foolish to the world. Our God loved those who are unlovable, and the greatness the greatness of our God in love and holiness should cause us to have great love and fear for the Lord. Knowing the gravity of God's love will ground you in this life. Those are the word notice that Paul uses the word control. It basically just means a pressure that, apply, that that produces an action. It's something the outside of you that, that, that moves you. It's like when I was in, in that, that play, You know, when the, the director told me stand here, I stood here. When, he told, when she told me to move over here, I moved over here. When she told me to meow, I, I meow, that I did exactly what she wanted me to do. And that's the idea here, that there's something outside of you that's controlling you, that's moving you. And for Paul, he was moved by the love of God. He was controlled by God's love. What kept him uh, to pr- continue to live in purity was the love of the Lord. What caused him to continue to make disciples was love the Lord. He did all things because, of the, because he was controlled by the love of God. And even the, the love of God was what kept him from, from quitting ministry. Because if he found his joy and his desires in ministry, he would have been disappointed. Because a lot of the churches at the time hurt him. You know, they would accuse him of different things. But if, you, if he found his joy and his satisfaction and his source of energy from the churches, he would be disappointed and would give up. But yet the love of God is what controls him, is what keeps him uh, living a faithful life that glorifies the Lord. The love of God makes us, from egocentric, from looking to ourselves, to Christocentric, to looking to Christ. What about you? Are you being controlled by the love of God? Because any less, and you will, you will you'll be burnt out. Just think about your week. As, as you, were, as you got, got home from long days of work, and you're with your spouse, you're married, and you know, your spouse might be the one that take care of you, uh, your spouse is like maybe a good cook, your spouse might be funny, your spouse might do all of these things. But none of those things will last, because there, be there will be a day when your spouse might not be able to fulfill those things. And are you going to not love your spouse anymore because they, f- they can't accomplish the things that you like? You know if they can 't cook for you anymore if if their humor is no longer as funny because you 're used to their jokes or even if they age and they don 't look the same, if you bank your relationship on something like this that's superficial, you will be discontent and uns- and, and, and dissatisfied with your marriage and ultimately you will dishonor the Lord in your marriage. Think about when you 're raising your kids, your kids might be adorable and cute and this little those vipers and diapers, they might be adorable, you know, they, they're playful and adorable, and they're your kids, they look like you, but yet, if you drive your, your parenting on, on these superficial things, you're going to be disappointed when they sin against you, when they aren't always as obedient. There has to be something that drives you aside from these superficial things, because everything will perish, but the love of God is infinite truth of the matter is if you want to honor the Lord in your family, if you want to honor the Lord in your marriage and your parenting, you must be controlled by the love of God. Because everything else, anything else that you try to rely on will ultimately lead you to disappointment. And you won't be able to glorify God in your marriage. You won't be able to parent, right? You won't be able to discipline your kid. You won't be able to love your spouse the way that you're supposed to if you're driven by something that is not the love of God. Nothing in this world will last, nothing's world will satisfy, nothing's world will sustain you except the love of God. Do you understand that we must draw from the deep, infinite well of God's love if you want to do all things for his glory? Paul expands on what Christ did. Look at the end of verse 14 and beginning of verse 15. That one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, and he died for all. This is substitutionary language here. Jesus suffered the penalty for our sins. And when we sin, we were legally and relationally separated from God. And the holiness of God was offended, which caused his wrath to be towards us. The only way we can be united with God is if we're united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And Jesus paid for our debt. God, in his love, appointed Jesus to stand in the place to bear the sin, guilt, and punishment for us, and thereby satisfying God's wrath. The key word is, is the word for. You notice in the end of 14, one died for all. This, or where we get the doctrine of substitutionary atonement is from this one word. Um, and the Greek is huper, which basically means in place of. And we see this all over scripture. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." John ten fifteen. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Romans five six. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, First uh, Peter three eighteen, the last one. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. The righteousness, the righteous one died for the unrighteous, so that we can be reconciled to, to to the Lord. Christ rescued us. Christ's death for us is the greatest demonstration of love. His suffering on for our, uh, his suffering of salvation for all people is an act of divine love, grace, and mercy. But he showed his greatest love by the fact that he died for us. John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life, and again, this word again, for his friends. Can you see the greatness of God's love? Do you see the sacrificial love that God has towards you and I? The infinite amount of God's love that's shown to us through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus should compel us to love him and others. There's no other way around this. If we, the more we understand God's sacrifice for us, the more that we will act, which leads to our second point. Now that we, understand, now that we have a better understanding of the orthodoxy of God's love, we need a greater orthopraxy of God's love. Uh, our second point, the orthopraxy of God's love the last half of 15, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The result of Christ's love for us and his substitutionary work is that Christians no longer live for themselves but ultimately live for the Lord. And, they, and they, that's, that's shown outwardly in the way that we treat our spouses and the way that we raise our kids. The more we understand the selfless act of Christ in the way he loved everyone in his earthly life, we too will model our love for God and others the way Christ loved us, or loved everyone. A person who knows the love of Christ will no longer be a slave to self-love. A person who is a slave of Christ will not be a slave to self-love. Paul said that he no longer lives for himself, but for Christ, and the results, also in honoring to the Lord in all areas of his life. Jesus died for us so that instead of living for ourselves, we live for the Lord and for other people. Titus 2.14, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to, to live righteous. The, re, the result of our salvation is that we are changed into the image of Christ. Whereas before we lived for ourselves, we did everything for ourselves, now we live for someone else. We live ultimately for the Lord and we serve other people around us. Christ changed us so that we have the ability to walk in this newness of life. Yes, we still struggle with sin, we still struggle with our old nature, but we now have the ability to live for the glory of Christ in every aspect because he's dwelling inside of us. We have new life. We bear fruit. Christ glorified God the most by living for God. He also live for God and not for himself. We see this in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Christ's entire life was not for himself. He did everything ultimately for the glory of God and then secondary for us. He did everything for God's glory and we just benefited from that. We can see this in Paul's own life, right? When Paul was a, was a, like a Judaizer, again. well, not really a Well, he when he was a Pharisee, he, he did that. Every time he killed Christians, every time he hunted Christians, every time he got someone to, to reject the faith, you, he, got, he got praise. People loved him. He was both simultaneously famous and infamous for for his act towards Christianity. He persecuted the church because he loved the way the world perceived him. The world at the time, especially the, the popular culture, loved the fact that Christians were, were being persecuted. And Paul was praised for it. Yet when he got saved... We see in Philippians that he saw all of those things, all those notorieties, all of those success as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. After he was saved, he only lived for God, and he, he, and he lived for others. He, wanted to, to, he cared about other people. Mainly, he was willing to risk his own life so that everyone that he encountered would know the gospel. He wanted to glorify God through fulfilling the great commission and love the fellow man willing to share the gospel. He's willing to give up all comforts so that people will know the Lord. In fact, you can see the love that Paul has. He, wanted, he, he loved and wanted to benefit others so much that he was willing to trade places with his fellow brothers, his fellow Jewish brethren. Romans 9.3 tells that Paul said, for I, could, for I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is how Paul understood the love of Christ. He, this is what Christ did. He, 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 he bore the wrath. He, he took the place of sinners. And Paul wanted to do that for his own kinsmen. Paul looked to Christ as the greatest example of living for God. And so should we. If we were to be honest with ourselves, we're not always controlled by the love of Christ. if are Even if we are new, uh, even if we're new creatures, we aren't always controlled by the love of Christ. It's so easy to be controlled by something else, and not the love of the Lord. For example, it's easy to be controlled by. It's easy not to be controlled by love when you're tired and fatigued. You know, when you go home after a long day of work, and your spouse wants to hang out with you, and you know they play, they're just goofy and they play with you, and you're agitated. You know, you're like, ah, I just want to be by myself. I need some alone time. You know, that's not that's uh, you know we're not that's not that's not a loving response. You know, because it just, we're just focused on ourselves. We want something, we want our own comfort. We put our own comfort as opposed to spending time with our loved ones. Whether Or it could be when you're playing with your kids after a long day of work. Like, oh, daddy, mom, you play with me. Like, no. Like, go to your room. You know, it's like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, a, it's not a loving response because it's self-focused. And it, yeah, it's easy to justify ourselves uh, when we're tired and fatigued because we, we feel like we need rest so that we can do So we can do our parenting roles. But scripture tells us that we're controlled by the love of God. We're not controlled by our own physical limitations, but the love of Christ. Dying to self is hard when you feel like you're dying. Dying to self is hard when you feel like you're dying. But yet, remember our Savior... Remember our Lord. I mean, Jesus back then, he didn't have a Prius. He didn't have any cars. He just had to walk from point A to point B. Uh, he healed the sick. He discipled people. He, re- he, he, he encouraged. He rebuked. He did everything. He, if anyone, he was the most tired person. He did not waste his life. And the greatest care for others was shown when he was on the cross. Even when he was on the cross, when he was suffering the agonies uh, of Calvary when he was he was whipped when he was nailed he still cared about his own mother and yet even the people that were that that put him on the cross he asked God to forgive them for they did not know what they're doing God cared about other people even though he was literally dying Jesus Christ sought to glorify God even in extreme pain and fatigue which gives us an example we need to we can even though we're tired even though we're fatigued we can still be controlled by the love of Christ Christ gives us this template it is also hard to be controlled by love when your preferences are, are intruded. If, let's say, you and your, your friend or your coworker worker or your, someone in the church has a strong preference or something and you know, they want to go watch a Warriors game, you don't want to watch a Warriors game, and then you guys bicker over the Warriors game because it's like, oh, it's, they might win tonight. It's like, no, don't worry about it. No, I really want to watch it. You guys, you guys have tension over something that really has no, has no significance. You, you need to, uh, most conflict in life I believe most conflict in our church life comes when they're arguing over preferences, over things that really have no lasting effect. Yet we live in a culture that tells us to get what's ours. We need to get what is yours and do what makes you happy. That goes against what what the scripture tells us. The Bible tells us to prefer others as more important than ourselves. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do you not know, look merely out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was in the comfort of, of being in the throne of God. He was completely comfortable, yet he denied his own comfort. He denied things that he would prefer for sinners like you and I. He gave his own preferences up and ultimately, yeah, to glorify the Lord, but if he did not do that, we would not be saved. And this is why we need to look to the Lord constantly, especially when things are just, just defer. Care about the other person that's more important to yourselves. It's also hard to be controlled by, God's, controlled by the love of God when someone sins against you. When your spouse or your kid sins against you, it's easy to be bitter towards them. You know, it's like a natural sinful response because we feel justified. You know, we totally, yeah, you sinned against me, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ignore you, or I'm not gonna take you out for dinner, or I'm not gonna feed you. <laughs> uh, you should feed your kids. But, you know, there's, there's a tendency for us to, to want to justify ourselves when we're sinned against. Yet you know, when we look to Christ, when we look to our Savior, we realize that every time that we sinned against the Lord, Christ forgave us. When He died on the cross, He forgave us. Every sin was wiped away. Um, when we were, we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So when someone sins against us, we're, we're, we need to be like Christ and respond in a way that is with love. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. First Peter 4, 8. You guys are familiar with, the, with this verse. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sin. And the last one, last example. It is hard to be controlled by the love of God when the, people, when the person in your life isn't changing the way that you want them to. Whether it's your spouse or your kids, your people in the church. Uh, I mean, how many times have you said this to someone? How many times did I tell you not to do this? Or how many times, remember the last time I told you to do this? You, you make these, uh, you, you remind them of their faults, even though they've asked you for forgiveness and they haven't, change in the rate that you want them to. Remember, but again, looking to our Savior, Christ lived with the apostles for three years. I mean, if there's any group of people that should be super sanctified, it should be the apostles. But yet in those three years, there were, after all the miracles, after all the discipleship, all the sermons, there was still a lot of room to grow for the apostles. Yet Jesus was still kind and patient with them, even when they betrayed him and left him. Jesus still loved his sheep. And even if, if you just even look at our own lives, how many times have you heard a sermon on loving your spouse? How many times have you heard a sermon on husband uh, lead, uh, lead your wife in a, uh, love your wife in an understanding way? How many times have you heard wives? How many, times have you ser- how many sermons have you heard that say submit to your husband? Yet there are times in our life where we're not perfect in these areas. Kids, young people, how many times have you heard in sermon say, listen to your, obey your parents. And yet there's still moments where we fail to do so. How can we expect other people to grow as fast as we want them to, but yet not expect ourselves to do so? We don't expect, we don't change as fast as we should, so why should we expect others to do so as well? Whether it is our shortcomings or others, God is patient towards us. God is always patient towards us. That's from his love. His love is part of his love. Is that he is completely and perfectly patient? Romans two four. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Whether we're tired, or have our liberties taken away, or being sinned against, or the person doesn't change as fast as we like, it is hard to be controlled. Is those moments that's hard to be controlled by love? But yet, as we just looked, Christ did. Christ loved us in light of all of the, our faults and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures. And we need to appreciate Christ and model our lives after our Lord. Ask Christ to, during those tense moments. Ask Christ for the grace to be able to live to glorify him. Ask Christ to, to ask the Lord to, to allow you to love your spouse the way that you want them to love them. And even in those tense situations, it does expose sin in our own life, does it not? When our, when our spouse or our kids offend us and we want to react, that's a natural, there's some, there are, you know, we're like, we want to be, we want to say something to hurt them or we want to uh, like punish them in different ways, that these are not Christ-like attitudes. It's only hard to be controlled by love in tense moments because in those times we just simply forget Christ. It is those tense moments that we forget Christ now, I would encourage all of us to remember our Lord, to remember the Lord at all times. We're called to love and to be controlled by love. And this is what Christians are supposed to be. We must be marked by love. If we understand God's love, we will truly love others also. We love because, as new creatures, we are called to be Christ like. In the end, in every circumstance, we can look to Jesus as our perfect example of love. And therefore, we need to live in a way that exemplifies that love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-8. Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Jesus is God, and Jesus exemplified Love. He is love. May we continue to learn more about the love that Christ has for us in our daily devotions, in our sermons, so that we can, so we can practice the love of God that he, that, that he expects us to. May we be people that are marked by faithfulness to the Lord, to our spouse, to our kids, and to everyone. Um, may we be people who always seek to model our lives after the Lord instead of our own sinful flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you for mercy and grace. We know we come short uh, regularly in our lives, and yet you're so patient with us. Lord, we ask you to, to, to teach us uh, the patience that you have towards us so that we can be patient towards other people. Lord, may we love the way that you love, knowing that we fall short in exemplifying you. Lord, we ask... Uh, for your grace this weekend and actually every single day that we will, that we will be able to be controlled not by our, our situations or emotions, but by your love, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have in your son's precious name. Amen.